well this morning into the presence of the Lord, and that is what today is all about. Would you bow with your, your heads with me, please, as we go to prayer? I just want to offer a couple of verses. We've had some scripture read already this morning, good scripture, but I want to add to it from Psalm 118, which if you go home today and look at, you see it's very, very appropriate uh, for this day, for Palm Sunday, and among all the different things that we could draw from it, I was just thinking about what Kathy shared with us and the challenge she gave us, and this is what the psalmist says in Psalm 118, verse 5, from my distress I called upon the Lord, and the Lord answered me. He set me in a large place, and, and the Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Father, we thank you that you, through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the gift of salvation, which gives us the gift of your Holy Spirit, Father, that we actually do have the option to live lives that are free from and not, not bound up and marked by fear. Father, there are fearful things in the world we live in. There are fearful things that come our way. There is disease and tragedy and, and, and hardship and heartache. And, and yet, Father, while those things are fearful, Father, when we realize who Jesus is, when we recognize what he has done for us, Lord, what, what especially this week that we are launching into this morning, Holy Week, when we realize what Jesus Christ was willing to come do for us and, in fact, did Father, we're able to lay all those worries and fears at your feet. We're able, as Kathy told us, Lord, to sit in your presence, waiting on the Lord, and find that you will, Lord, if we will trust you, you will remove our fear. You will give us new strength. You will enable us, as your word says in another place, to mount up with wings like eagles, to run and not grow weary, to walk and not become faint. Father, we thank you. That of, that of all the things you've given us, Lord, that, that woven all through the message of the gospel is the message, is the theme of victory. Father, we thank you that Jesus at the cross and, and at the tomb was victorious. Father, we thank you that each time, each moment one of us put our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior was a, another moment of victory in the kingdom of God. And Father, we thank you that, that though the world is a mess and our lives are often hard, Father, we know the last page of the story. We know where it's going. We know it ends in victory. And because of that, for, and for so many other reasons, we need not be afraid. Father, I thank you for your word this morning, and I thank you that, Lord, it's, that this is the place. Lord, when we open your word, when we come together, when our hearts are softened and warmed by, by worshiping you in song, Father, that then we can open the scriptures and find that these words are, in fact, words of life. And Father, as we look at your word just for a short time this morning, because we're all excited about a baptism that's still to come and, and all that that involves, Father, I pray that for these next few minutes, we would give our attention not to the one who is preaching, but to the word that is being preached. And Father, trust that through the, the simplicity of opening up our Bibles and, and looking at them together and talking about what it says, Father, that your spirit can move in extraordinary ways. And Father, you tell us not to come timidly, but to come boldly into your presence. And so I come on behalf of of this church family today, boldly into your presence and say, King of heaven, come now. King of heaven, come down. Let your glory reign shining like the day and change our lives. Holy Spirit, we invite you at this time as always to guide us in truth. We plead with you to guard us from error and misunderstanding. We ask you to deliver us from passivity and and indifference. And Father, in these precious moments together, in this, at the beginning of this most important of weeks, Father, we pray that you would help us to see Jesus. 
Father, may we see Jesus clearly this morning as we study your word. May we see Jesus only this morning as we study your word. And as we leave, Lord, hopefully rejoicing today, hopefully echoing the Hosanna cry of Palm Sunday in our hearts. Lord, may it truly be the joy of our heart, our song, our be the truth that we have been revived and refreshed having gathered here in this place. We love you, Lord. We look to you, Lord, and we pray all these things in the name of Jesus as all God's people said like they mean it. Amen. 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 You may be seated. And as you're taking your seats this morning, let me say real quickly uh, that we are not having, and I hope you were aware of this, any children's church this morning. Uh, when we do baptism services and, and have so many other things like this going on, we want our kids uh, to be part of it, especially since uh, the one being baptized is one of our kids. And we're going to get to that soon enough. Um, I know that she's very anxious to get there, as am I. But we do want to spend some time, I want us to spend some time in God's Word first. So I want you to take out your Bible if you have it with you, and I want you to do two things. First of all, I want you to turn in it to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, when you get there, I just want you to bookmark it, stick your bulletin or your notes or just some way of marking that spot. And then once you found Luke 19, I want you to go back in your Bible to Psalm 45. I want you to go back in your Bible to Psalm 45, and over the next few minutes and at least the way it has been written and prepared, this is uh, somewhat shorter a message than we typically have. Um, we'll see how that all works out. You know what I'm like. But what we're going to try to do in our next several minutes together is I'm going to seek here on this Palm Sunday to tie a couple of separate passages, the story of Palm Sunday and Psalm 45 together in a way that, that I believe God can use, not I, but God can use to enrich our hearts and, uh, and help us to love and to serve him more. We're going to begin reading in Psalm 45 today, so follow along in your Bible. I'm going to read the psalm in its entirety, verse 1 through 17. Before verse 1, it says, at least it reads in my Bible, it may say slightly differently in yours, there is a, a heading, an inscription that says, this was a psalm written, we don't know by whom, but it was written, written for the, the choir director, the temple choir director in ancient Israel. According to the, my Bible says, Shoshanim, that was the, the tune, other Bibles say the tune uh, of the lilies. It is a mascal. A mascal is a teaching psalm. It's meant to teach us a lesson of the sons of Korah, and it's a song of love. Beginning in verse 1, this is what the Bible says. My heart overflows with a good theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready scribe. You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, Almighty One, in your splendor and your majesty, and in your majesty ride on victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp. The peoples fall under you. Your arrows are in the heart of the king's enemies. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. All your garments are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. Out of ivory palaces, stringed instruments have made you glad. King's daughters are among your noble ladies. At your right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir. Listen, O daughter, give attention and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house. Then the king will desire your beauty because he is your lord. Bow down to him. The daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. The rich among the people will seek your favor. The king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is interwoven with gold. She will be led to the king in embroidered work. The virgins, her companions who follow her, will be brought to you. 
They will be led forth with gladness and rejoicing. They will enter into the king's palace. In place of your fathers will be your sons. You shall make them princes in all the earth. And I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, the peoples will give you thanks forever and ever. So 2,000 years ago, on what we refer to, what we think of as the first Palm Sunday, at what we probably uh, just as often as believers recognize what made it Palm Sunday was Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem at the beginning of of what we know to be Holy Week. The story, of course, of Palm Sunday of the triumphal entry is that as Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey's colt, a donkey's colt on which no one had ever ridden before. Many, Many of us remember the details of that story. But the crowd that had gathered along that road on that day openly cheered Jesus as their king. The Gospels tell us in various places that they said things like, peace in heaven and and hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the king, the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And the reason they did that on what we consider the first Palm Sunday is because they knew, the Jews who were greeting Jesus that day, they knew that generations before, their prophets, the Old Testament prophets, had told them a king was going to come. A special king unlike any other who'd come to Israel before. Furthermore, by this point in time, the crowd that had gathered outside Jerusalem that day had seen enough of Jesus himself up close, of his words and his deeds and his miracles and and all the rest, that they were now fully persuaded that unlike all the pretenders who'd come before, and many pretenders had come claiming to be the Messiah, they knew Jesus was the real deal. They knew Jesus was this promised one. And so this time, unlike many other occasions, the Gospels tell us there were other times when Jesus' followers, the disciples and others, they wanted to openly hail him as king. They wanted him to to, to march into Herod's palace and, and take the throne for himself. All the other times that had happened up till now, Jesus always pushed back on it and he said, no, my time has not yet come. I know what you want to do and you're on the right track, but my time has not come. But this time was different. This time, on Palm Sunday, Jesus openly received their acclaim. Because according to God the Father's plan, the time to be recognized that way had come. And you know, while probably for most of us here this morning, the realities of of time and and, and culture and, and, and even physical distance can sometimes make what happened on Palm Sunday sort of far removed from us. Maybe even we look look at it as a a slight relevance, certainly compared to Good Friday and and, and Easter Sunday and, of course, Christmas when we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. The fact of the matter is this, that there is much we can learn from even just a peek at Palm Sunday. Just a, a peek at the story of Palm Sunday, both for our own sakes as followers of Christ, but also for the sake of others we know who do not know, yet know Jesus the way we do yet. And so to that end, I want to show you three things. And as I said, I'm going to try to do this quickly, so try to keep up, and I'll try to keep moving. But there are three things I want to direct our attention to based on the story of Palm Sunday in cooperation with what we just read in Psalm 45, the first of which is this. It is to say to you, and I believe this with all my heart, And without equivocation, number one, our hearts want a king. Our hearts, all of our hearts, each of our hearts wants a king. Now, the idea of a literal literal monarch, 
A man or woman seated on a throne, wearing a crown with a scepter in their hand, ruling over the land from sea to shining sea. Now that specifically, a literal monarchy, probably does not appeal to most of us as Americans. That's, that's what our country originally got away from, right? And we're not looking for, a, for an absolute ruler to come and, and, and take things back over. But I would contend that what, what it represents does appeal to us. What that idea represents does appeal to us because in a world gone mad, we crave what people everywhere at all times have always craved, a person, a a movement, a philosophy, something, someone that can step into the middle of the mess and bring order and bring peace, and bring prosperity, and can bring safety, and can give us security, and hopefully somewhere in the midst of all that, we'll find significance and meaning in life. Our hearts want something or someone to make sense and order and significance out of the madness. But of course, it doesn't take a, a history scholar to look through the pages of history and see that it's littered with one failed attempt after another. People who are hailed as maybe this is the guy, maybe this is the woman, maybe this is the moment it's all going to change, but it never happens. And of course, no better solutions are currently in sight. In other words, what I'm saying to you this morning, and for this, hold Psalm 45 and just real quickly go with me over to Luke 19, where I asked you to, to mark your place. The literal meaning behind the Palm Sunday crowd's famous cheers, I'm looking at Luke 19, verses 37 and 38, it says, as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen, shouting, here it is again, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, glory in the highest. And of course, the other gospels tell us that intermixed with all of that was this cry, Hosanna, which means save us and save us now. Jesus, be the guy. Do the thing that we want done. Again, that is something every human heart wants. Someone to make sense and take over and fix it. And the reason that's something every human heart wants is because maybe you know this, maybe you don't. Our hearts were made for a king. We were not ever meant to be the kings and queens in our own lives. Our hearts are made for a king. By God, for a king. And, and, and so the reason that we began this morning in Psalm 45, and I want you to go back there with me right now, is, is because of the second thing I want to show you. Number one, our hearts want a king. Psalm 45 tells us about the kind of king we want. Second thing I want you to see is the, the kind of king that I believe all of us want. Now, the story here behind Psalm 45 is that it was originally, and we touched on this just when I read that little portion of it right before verse 1 begins, but the story behind Psalm 45 is that it was originally written as a love song. It was written as a love song for the wedding day of one of ancient Israel's kings. We don't know which king it was for. may have been Solomon. We don't know who composed it, but we are able to tell if we dig into the details, it was a love song written for a wedding day. Now, if you know anything about love songs and wedding days, you know you always get the best of the best, right? The songs are idealistic, right? Uh, the, the expressions and, and, and the sentiments that are shared are always, you know, unimaginably beautiful and perfect, and we don't look for flaws, we, we look for the absolute best, and certainly that psalm has, there is an, an idealism in this love song, in this psalm, 
But what it shows us, here's what I want you to see, and I'm going to survey this really, really fast through the first nine or ten verses, is it shows us whoever wrote this psalm was thinking about a king who was, among other things, verse 2, handsome and articulate. Verse 2 says, you are fairer than the sons of men, and grace is poured upon your, is poured upon your lips. He was thinking of a king who, according to verse 3, was regal and and majestic. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in splendor and in majesty. The psalmist was thinking, in addition to that, of a a king, of the king being one who was always victorious in battle. Look at verse 4. In your majesty, ride on victoriously. Verse 5, for your arrows are sharp, the peoples fall under you, your arrows are in the heart of all the king's enemies, and yet at the same time, though he was a man of war, what verse 4 also represents or says about this ideal king is that at the same time, he would be honest and selfless and just. Look again at the latter part of verse 4, for the cause of truth, meekness, and righteousness, let your right hand teach you awesome things. And of course, if you find a king this good, right? He's beautiful and and articulate and victorious and honest, and and he's got his his act all put together. Well, you get a king like that, you don't want him to go away, right? So what does it say in verse 6? Well, the, the psalmist goes on to say, your throne is forever and ever, and a scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. In other words, once we have you, we don't want to lose you. Continues from there, this ideal king is described as one who is virtuous in character, joyful in disposition. Verse 7, you've loved righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. And then, of course, it comes back around again in verses 8 and 9 to the fact that this guy was attractive and and desirable and and highly esteemed. Verses 8 and 9, all your garments are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. I don't know what that means, but it probably smelled good. It said, out of ivory palaces, stringed instruments have made you glad. King's daughters are among your noble ladies, and at your right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir. And and then when verse 10, and we're not going to go through the rest of this psalm, but just trust me when I say that, that when verse 10 shifts the rest of this psalm's focus away from the king to be married to the bride he was about to take as his queen in marriage, what you see through the rest of the psalm, and you can see this for yourself, is he is pictured, as it were, as the ideal family man. He is a husband and, and a father and a, a patriarch for the ages, a, a guy who would have a family like No other, and in fact, so glorious and so wonderful that his reputation would never fade away. Now listen, we all know that's too much to ask of any one person, to expect of of any one person, but it doesn't stop us from longing for one. We do want, I mean, the fact that we can conceive of a king like that, of a leader like that, of someone like that who can bring all of that to this world. That appeals to us. And frankly, I'd contend that if we could find somebody who'd even just check half of those boxes, we'd be happy. But it's a tall order. And it hasn't happened yet. And I know it's early, but 2024 doesn't look promising. So, <laughs> so that's where the real beauty of this psalm emerges, of this particular psalm emerges. Because while originally, as we've seen, it was written poetically, to celebrate an ancient Hebrew king and his wedding. At the same time, what we are to understand about Psalm 45, not only was it written poetically, it was also written prophetically. And prophetically speaking, it shifts our attention to the third and final thing I want to show you this morning. Yes, our hearts want a king, and there's a kind of king that we want. And the message of Palm Sunday is that God has made provision for our need. 
Third thing we need to see here is God's provision for our need. Because the message of Palm Sunday is simply this, bottom line. 2,000 years ago, the crowd got it right. The crowd got it right. You see, in Jesus of Nazareth, they saw, think about this. In Jesus of Nazareth, they saw someone who could give them what Caesar, Pontius Pilate, King Herod, the high priest, the Sanhedrin, and the whole lot of scribes, priests, and Pharisees, and elders combined, put them all together. They couldn't give the people, they couldn't give anyone what they realized Jesus could. And it came down to one word, Jesus could give them hope. Jesus gave them real, legitimate, enduring hope. And we know that because, and you don't need to turn there, but you may want to mark it down, in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. The author of Hebrews, whoever they were, unapologetically applies Psalm 45 to the person of Christ. But of the Son, God says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Does it sound familiar? It should. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And if you were to make a careful search of the rest of the New Testament scriptures, you would find this. You would find that every single other thing Psalm 45 said about this ideal king was in fact fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. It's all over the place. And by the end of the week, listen to me, we're almost done. By the end of the week, he was wearing a crown, wasn't he? But it wasn't gold or silver, and it wasn't ornaments and jewels. Five days later, he's wearing a crown of thorns. Crown of thorns, and here's why. Because in order to let us into his kingdom, in order to gain entrance into his kingdom, our sin has to be dealt with, had to be dealt with. This is a great kingdom. This is a great king. We should all want to be part of it, but there's only one way in. And that is through the sacrifice the blood, the death of Jesus Christ. You want into the kingdom, you go through Jesus who went to the cross in our place. It took a sinless one dying for sinners, shedding his blood to wash away our sins so that if we'll simply repent and believe in him, we're in. He's our king. We are his people. And listen, it is through the cross that God made provision for our need. You want the king, you go to the cross. You want the kingdom, you go to Jesus. And Amal, in just a few minutes, one of, our, one of our own, one of our children here at Maranatha is going to publicly declare her faith in Jesus Christ through baptism. Here's what I want to do. I want to use this moment. I invite you just to pause. I'll give you the big idea momentarily, but before I do that, I just want you to pause quietly and invite the Holy Spirit to search your heart. And you may not even know this morning who the Holy Spirit is. Well, he knows who you are. And so if you ask him, he'll do his thing. But as believers, we need to to invite the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and say, listen, am 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 I clean before you this morning, Lord? Not because my salvation is in jeopardy, but because I want my walk with you to be rich. Are there any sins we need to confess Are there any secret places in our heart that we have not yet surrendered to his lordship? We're going to say, Lord, you handle this. I got that because I don't want you messing with that. 
And for those of you here this morning who haven't yet trusted King Jesus, this is your opportunity to repent, to say, I'm a sinner, you're the Savior, you died for me, I trust in you. You see, the big idea of this Palm Sunday is that Jesus is the king we need. Jesus is the king we need, and nobody's going to take his place. So let's just bow our heads for a moment. As we bow our heads, I'll just, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up as they're going to lead us in another song of worship here while we go backstage and prepare for baptism. But where you're sitting right now, I really do sincerely mean it when I say, ask the Holy Spirit, say, Lord God, Holy Spirit, search my heart today. Show me what I need to surrender to you. Hear my prayer if I'm calling on you for the very first time as Savior, and he will. When we get the, the opportunity, we, we need to seek his face. As a believer, you're just coming clean before him in any way this morning. Once you've prayed that prayer of confession, then offer him a a prayer of gratitude and thanksgiving that, that having confessed your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you. And if you're coming to Jesus for the first time, it really is that simple. Jesus, you died for me. I give you my sin. Come into my life. Father, I thank you this morning for Palm Sunday. I thank you for the triumphal entry of Jesus, for his open reception and acclamation as the King. Father, I thank you that with Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday in view, we have this opportunity to begin preparing our hearts as we enter into a week of that ought to be one of worship and of prayer and of contemplation and of confession and of rejoicing. Father, thank you for this moment to remember that our hearts want a king. There's a certain kind of king we want, and Jesus more than fits the bill. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son, the Lord Jesus, and we thank you for the gift of salvation, which we are, in a few moments, you're about to celebrate with one of our precious children, proclaiming her faith in Jesus to the rest of us, her church family. Father, we pray that you would give her the courage and the boldness and the clarity to, to speak of what Jesus has done for her. And Father, use what we have heard so far and what we're about to, to hear in the remainder of this service to deepen our love, gratitude, appreciation, our rejoicing in you for Jesus' sake. Amen.